Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim and every week I'll be bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. We've got a real Halloween corker for you as we look back at the creepy Century Falls and round the twist. Have you got the theme song in your head yet? Well if you haven't, I bet you do now. And we take a special look at Wurzel Gummidge, the creepy scarecrow with a creepy accent. So let's get started. And uh, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? Uh, I'm alright, I'm alright. If this uh, bloody internet can't fix itself, then I might actually lose my mind. <laughs> There's 21st century uh, COVID problems, isn't it? Bad internet, that's it, game over. Let's, let's get going, let's, let's get started. And uh, we're going to start with uh, Wurzel Gummidge. So we're going all the way back to February 1979 and uh, some of the things happening in the world. Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini returns to Tehran after nearly 15 years of exile, paving the way for the Iranian revolution. Pluto moves inside Neptune's orbit for the first time since either was known to science. The Sahara Desert experiences snow for 30 minutes. The Warriors were in the cinemas. And Tragedy by the Bee Gees was in the charts. Right, so Wurzel Gummidge. So this is a walking, talking scarecrow character in British children's fiction who originally appeared in a series of books by the English novelist Barbara Youth and Todd. And it was the first story. It was the first story book published by Puffin Books. So it's all about a scarecrow that can come to life on Scatterbrook Farm. And Wurzel stands in a ten-acre field. He befriends John and Susan, who came to stay during the school holidays on the Braithwaite Farm. Wurzel normally lands John and Susan in trouble when he is being mischievous, as he goes into a sulk and becomes a normal, lifeless scarecrow and it leads others to blame the two children for the trouble he causes. The first Wurzel Gummidge book came out in 1936, titled Wurzel Gummidge. Another was released in 1937 called Wurzel Gummidge Again. Then we got more about Wurzel Gummidge in 1938, Wurzel Gummidge and Saucy Nancy in 1947, Wurzel Gummidge Takes a Holiday in 1949, Earthy Mangold and Wurzel Gummidge in 1954, Wurzel Gummidge and the Railway Scarecrows 1955, Wurzel Gummidge at the Circus 1956, Wurzel Gummidge and the Treasure Ship in 1958, and Detective Wurzel Gummidge in 1963. The Wurzel Gummidge books differ from the television adaptation, one difference being that in the books, Wurzel is married to Earthy Mangold. In his first book, Auntie Sally, he's femme fatale in the TV series, is only mentioned in one chapter and the character is an antagonistic bully to Wurzel. He was madly in love with Auntie Sally in the, uh, the TV series, but she was a cruel-hearted, fairground, coconut-shy doll who considered herself a lady and far too good for common scarecrow such as Wurzel. Auntie Sally often exploits Wurzel for her own ends, and in one episode, she promises to marry him if he frees her from a junk shop washing machine 
but she never has any intention of going through with it. The Croman says there are good and bad Aunt Sally's. The one Wurzel likes has delusions of grandeur and is evil in her constant nastiness to him. For the television adaption, Wurzel has a collection of interchangeable heads. In the books, the maker of Wurzel Gummidge and other scarecrows is not named the Croman, but is described as a mysterious figure. The first broadcast with Wurzel was before World War II on the BBC Children's Hour. The character first appeared on television in 1953 in a four-part series starring Frank Atkinson in the title role. Now to the uh, TV adaptation. Wurzel Gummidge was produced by ITV station Southern Television for transmission on the ITV network. It was written by Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall and it starred former Doctor Who actor John Pertwee as Wurzel and Una Stubbs as Aunt Sally, a life-size fairground doll and Wurzel's femme fatale. Una Stubbs, I believe, was Mrs. Hudson in the uh, Sherlock stories. Anyway, according to John Pertwee's memoirs, the idea for the series started life as a proposed film about the Wurzel Gummidge character by Waterhouse and Hall, and it would have been about the Scarecrow's equivalent of the Peasants' Revolt, with the Scarecrow's rising up against farmers who was going to burn them when the farming season had ended. Pertwee was approached to play the lead character by producer Gareth Wigan. When this project fell through, due to it being unable to secure the funds it needed or a distribution deal, Pertwee encouraged the writers to create a television pilot instead and via his agent pitched the idea to Sean Sutton, then head of drama at the BBC. And Sutton turned down the project, which he felt was two way out, as did Philip Jones at Thames Television. Pertwee later recalled that at this point, he began to lose faith in the project. But Southern Television's Lewis Rudd heard about it and enthusiastically agreed that his company would make the series. Some uh, cultural references. In the early 1980s, British Labour Party leader Michael Foote was satirically compared to Wurzel Gummidge as a criticism of his allegedly unkempt appearance. A Wurzel Gummidge figurine was fixed to John Pertwee's coffin for his funeral at Putney Vale Cemetery. In 2016, Mewick publishing released a Wurzel book the first complete history of the series written by Stuart Manning the books gathered more than 40 interviews with surviving cast and crew plus hundreds of rare and unseen photographs the League of Gentlemen's Mark Gattis contributed a forward Wurzel's song sung by John Pertwee was released in 1980 reaching number 33 in the UK charts and Wurzel also had his own language, Wurzelese, and some of his favorite catchphrases were a cup of tea and a slice of cake, I'll be bomb swizzle, and Bozzy McCoo. Obviously, some of the characters Wurzel Gummidge, you had Aunt Sally, the Crowman, John, Sue, Mr. Peters, Sergeant Beetroot, Pickles, Brambles and Mr. and Mrs. Braithwaite. So, Wurzel Gummidge. Wurzel Gummidge. This show, I first got introduced to... I don't know how old I was. I was like quite a young 
young kid and in the summer holidays they had this um show and i'm sure it had like keenan and kel then it was like wurzel gummage and then it was a show called dungeons and dragons afterwards all in a row now i i first of all didn't watch wurzel gummage and then my dad was like oh wurzel gummage i remember that that was awesome and then like you know kind of made it sat down and made us watch it and i remember as a kid i absolutely loved it and i kind of know you're going to destroy it for me but even this time around i thought it was really good and really sweet and yeah like i i I really enjoyed it i thought it was like a really really great little little show um because of the time it was released and all the books and things like that i have a feeling (laughs) <laughs> you're literally gonna like tear it apart but um yeah as as i said i i actually the two episodes that i watched and from remember it from when i was a kid i really enjoyed it i'm gonna get my notes out just a second oh god <laughs> well i tell you i tell you though like okay okay i liked wurzel gummage too i i thought it was fine i didn't think it was great i didn't think it was amazing but it was more than good enough to watch I don't remember watching this as a kid at all. Obviously, I know, I've heard the name Words of Gummage. I know the character. Obviously, if you're scruffy and unkempt, you're known as Words of Gummage, and that's what people will call you. Um, yeah, I watched it. I thought it held up reasonably well. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, I've I haven't got anything really bad to say about Words of Gummage. It's one of those where if it came on in the afternoon or something, I would happily sit down and watch it. It's one of those good time filler programs where you just sit down. It's nice, bit of bit of fun, bit of entertainment. I I really didn't like Aunt Aunt Sally. She's like every she's like every like girl that your mum warns you about. Don't don't fall in love with that girl. She'll only break your heart. She and that's Aunt Sally. She's like the, uh, the the epitome of that. It's like she's like the uh, the girl that John Lennon sings about in Girl. Like was she told when she was young that pain would lead to pleasure? Did she understand it when they say that a man must bake his back to earn his day of leisure? Will she still believe it when he, he's dead? It's one of those like you love her so much, but she treats you like absolute dirt, and you're like, what did I do to deserve this? And and yeah, that that whole thing with Aunt Sally, I yeah. I did 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 not like her, but um, I don't remember that lineup that you were talking about with Keenan and Kel and Wurzel Gummidge and Dunja. I mean, that sounds like a great lineup, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So this, do you know that? Do you know the summer holiday? Um, like I think it was like the first week of the summer holidays. I had the summer holiday show. It was like the you know the sit down and watch cartoons for this for the morning, whatever. Give your parents a break, kind of thing. And this was the only year this happened, and it was that lineup: Keenan and Kel. Worlds of Gummage, um, Dungeons and Dragons. And um, it happened once and it never happened again. I remember like waiting the, in the next summer holidays thinking, oh, great, I just hope, hope this, this, this thing's on. I can't remember what the show was called, as in like the actual show that had all the shows in it. But it never happened again. And yeah, so the, the, that lineup was lost, lost forever. Let's go into episodes. I watched four. So it uh, gives you an idea of just how much I uh, enjoyed this show. So obviously, I, th- I believe we watched Wurzel's Washing Day, which is the pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want me to do the pilot? 
I was going to say, well, one thing I was going to say was that it was a, uh, you can you can do the pilot, but I was going to say it's a similar start to uh, Children of the Stones, where they're driving to this new village and it's really spooky and creepy. and. It's a pretty common theme today, to be honest, um, The tr- going to a new place and it's a bit creepy and weird. Um, and you're, And it starts off with them in the car and they're just going, oh, where are we going? We're going to this new place. Uh, starts off, <laughs> they're going to a new place, and um, uh, and John needs a toilet, so he's like, "Dad, I need to go to the toilet," and and Dad's like a bit annoyed because he should have gone in the service station. Anyway, so they pull over for you know, family little, um, go to the toilet in the bush kind of thing, and he sees um, he sees the scarecrow, and he thinks that he's the scarecrow is waving at him, um, and these just bear in mind that these people are city folk, so they're not used to the countryside anyway. And and you know obviously um Sue and his dad are like come on, like give up you you're talking rubbish. Anyway, so this man comes and fixes up Wurzel, who you later to know to be a uh, Mister is it the, the Croman? That's his name, right? Croman, 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 Croman. Um. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, the Croman. So anyway, so he he starts to fix him up because he looks a bit worse for wear, and he's got like a robin nesting in his um in his in his chest, which is quite funny. I like that, and um. Uh, so they're, they're basically lost and they're driving around in circles and they meet the crowman. They ask, they ask him directions and they say like, um, where's Scatterbrook Farm? And he goes, oh, you just drive all the way up this lane. It leads nowhere else. And say hi to the Braithwaite's when, you know, when, when, when you get there. And they, and they, I haven't seen him for a while. And he said, if you haven't seen him for a while, um, I asked him a question. He says, I know, how is it? How do you know that we're going to stay there? And he said, well, I know everything kind of thing or you know people talk kind of thing where it gets around um and so john goes back into the field and he asks and then he sees the, the scarecrow oh no he asked sorry he asked mr crowman if the scarecrow's alive he's like oh no oh, kids and no imagination this and that and the other uh so they go to scatterbrook farm they, they're staying in this like kind of old gypsy style caravan thing then they start talking to the thing it's when you find out that the mum's dead and the guy, he sounds like Cassandra's dad, but I don't think it is him uh, from Only Fools and Horses. I did check. I couldn't really find anything about it. Um, anyway, so they're city folk. And jo- so he goes, to the, he goes, oh, I've got some business to take care of. And he goes down to the pub. So I'm not sure if this guy has got like a drinking problem because he always says I'm going to like do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that is very a noticeable thing about him. Where he'd be like, oh, I'm just off to the, just do some business. He's just basically going to the pub. I think I even made a note of that. Yeah, so I'm not sure if this was like a, um, not if they, if they kind of touched on this thing, but it looks like, you know, he's lost his wife, his wife died, and maybe this guy's got, a, you know, a bit of a problem that he's kind of hiding. Um, don't know for sure, just a guess. Anyway, so um, John and Sue decide to go exploring, and Sue's annoyed because it starts to rain, and they said, oh, look, the scarecrow's over there, let's go and see if we can borrow his umbrella, and and this is, I really like this part, this is like, oh, um, can I borrow your umbrella? And then Wurzel just goes, okay and then they all run off because the scarecrow spoke to them then it starts to it's like it's kind of raining and thundering and things like that and wurzel decides that he wants his umbrella back so he goes and um he's kind of goes on top of the caravan and he's like oi you you there and he's like um and he uh, basically gets in the caravan and starts talking to john about being born or being made and um how it's his birthday and he all he wants is a cup of tea and a slice of cake um and he wants a new coat and 
Anyway, so this is I didn't really understand this bit because it kind of just like suddenly morning, um, and all the washing's gone missing. And I th- I thought she said trap, but I think she said tramp. Right, a tramp did it, a tramp did it, or something like that, and stole all the clothes. Turns out it's Wurzel. He's got all the clothes in his hand and he's running off because he wants new clothes because he's like been um, he's got new straw inside him and he wants new clothes for the outside as well. And, and then he starts wind, winding up this policeman because the policeman says, look, look, takes one look at him and says, oh, we don't want your folk around here. And like kind of sends him on his way. Um, and so Wurzel starts doing a kind of this like dance and like winding him up. And the policeman's pumping up his bike tire and he's looking at Wurzel, not at his bike tire. And the, the bike tire ends up blowing up and <laughs> um, kind of like pushing the policeman over. And the policeman starts chasing him. So he just like, kind of like lays down in the rubbish. And then John and Sue decide to steal a horse and cart, which I thought was quite a sign of the times and, you know, a bit endearing when he's just steal this horse and cart to chase him because uh, the bin man puts him on the on the big bin lorry and takes him to the dump. And the dump truck kind of like dumps all the rubbish and Wurzel's head falls off and the kids think he's dead. And the crowman comes and says like, um, oh, it's all right, it's fine. And he kind of like twists his head back on. And the special effects like that, you know, the camera cuts and being all clever like that, I, I thought that was quite cool. Um, then John and Sue go back to the field and Wurzel's there um, and what the kids are like oh no that scarecrow's back he's going to be trouble and then Wurzel's like oh god those kids are back he's going to cause me trouble and that's when it ends um, quite a nice little episode You, I think you forgot to say there was a bit where Wurzel's like I want a present and John's like it's rude to ask for a present and then Wurzel's like I'm going to go into a sulk and then John's like you don't tell people you're going to have a sulk you just do it that made me. That actually made me laugh. Very British. You don't tell people you're moaning and whining. Just get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I did like that scene in the caravan. I really did like that scene. Actually, quite quite a nice scene. Yep. So I watched an episode called The Crow Man. So Wurzel, he's trying to greet a female scarecrow, asking her to marry him. She's like cackling laughing her head off like oh why the hell would i marry you and then he gets really angry just knocks her head off in in walks off in frustration and yeah i wrote that there's a lady i think it's mrs braithwaite and she's basically getting all this stuff from the village like for free and she's like oh i'm i'm very very grateful for these free eggs i mean free range eggs and then she gets Mr. Peters to come and do the electrics in her house for free. And she's getting the crow man to make her a scarecrow for her sort of big residence mansions and wants him to do like other odd jobs. And the kids are basically asking the crow man about Wurzel Gummidge. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, I made Wurzel Gummidge and what? And the kids are like, oh, he's real he must be real and and whatnot and then yeah so the crow man is confronting wurzel about going out and scaring people and he's basically like you you should be acting like a scarecrow stop doing whatever the hell it is you're doing and that is where he's wurzel is telling crowman oh i want a wife and he wants to have a handsome head instead of like the one that he has and yeah, so the kids are going to see Wurzel and Wurzel's basically not happy about them snitching, going like, oh, why are you telling everybody about me? Like, keep me a secret. 
they're in the uh, the manor fixing the electricity, and he has his new handsome head, and obviously. She, Mrs. Braithwaite or whatever doesn't know who the crowman is. So she's basically going, yes, yes, come in to Wurzel with his new head, whatever. I'll go and help Mr. Peters with the uh, electricity. And obviously he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And so he's like, oh, electricity. And he's basically causing a right mess. And yeah, and uh, and uh, what else? And he's basically, everybody's having a go at Wurzel for being so useless. And then he's telling the Crowman, why does everybody hate me so much? Why, why, what did I do wrong? And that is where Crowman teaches him the lesson that Wurzel has to be handsome inside as well as outside for people to like him. And Wurzel goes back to the Scarecrow lady, asks her to marry her, starts laughing out loud and beating him up which was really random. And then obviously he's learning from his mistakes and he vows to stay single. And I watched an episode, series two, episode one, Saucy Nancy. And Saucy Nancy, who was played by Barbara Windsor. Yeah, I saw I saw that she was um, on the IMDb list. I was like, wow. Yes, she was Saucy Nancy. So basically the grown-ups are going to the seaside while the kids stay at home. Apparently, it's like a senior's day out. Obviously, the kids are like, why can't we go? Why can't we go? And there's like, obviously, it's for the seniors. Y'all kids need to stay at home. And the kids are going, you know what? We want to talk to the scarecrows. Fine. And then Wurzel wants to go to the seaside, but he can't because he hasn't got a ticket. And he basically sneaks in the back. One thing I noticed was Mr. Peters was driving this big old bus without a seat belt can you imagine wow and while Wurzel's sitting in the back he's basically yamming on everyone's lunch and obviously they're trying to wonder oh who ate our lunch who ate our lunch and then obviously you have to go into a cafe somewhere and try and get something to eat he bumps into someone called Saucy Nancy and yeah, so the parrot is laughing at the owner. And so he's like, oh, this is my boat. It's called Saucy Nancy. And then obviously we see it's a, a person or a, not a scarecrow or whatever built. And uh, yeah, they, I think they like managed to steal some food from somewhere. And Saucy Nancy's going, oh, look, we're a good team. Let's get married. And he's like, well, I don't want to marry you. I want to marry Aunt Sally. And I think one of the seniors noticed Aunt Sally somewhere. And they're like, I swear that's Aunt Sally. I swear that's Aunt Sally. And then obviously Mr. Peter's like, oh, you don't want to get involved with these carnies. They're going to rip you off. They're going to do all sorts. Let's let's leave it. And uh, Nancy's she doesn't have any legs, but she's got wheels. And obviously the seniors realize that Wurzel steals the lunch. They're like, oh, let's get him. Let's get him. And there's just basically a big old chase sequence and everyone is after Nancy, everyone's after Aunt Sally, everyone's after Wurzel. And Aunt Sally and Saucy Nancy don't like each other. They just don't like each other or whatever. And obviously Aunt Sally's just taking liberties with Wurzel. Oh, take me away, take me away. Oh, if you take me away, then maybe I'll marry you. And obviously Wurzel's like, oh, I want to go with you, I want to go with you. And then Saucy Nancy goes, what about me? I don't treat you badly. 
And Aunt Sally's like, you know what? Take me back to the village, Wurzel. And yeah, and Aunt Sally and Saucy Nancy are fighting over Wurzel. They basically rip his arm off. And Sally just basically pushes Saucy Nancy as she ends up in the water. And Aunt Sally goes back with Wurzel in the uh, the bus and she's back in the village. And the last episode I watched was the finale. So uh, take it away with your choir practice. Nice. Um, cool. So um, Mr. Braithwaite is like, oh, come on, kids. We'll... Um... The kids are walking around and he's, and Mr. Braithwaite comes in his tractor and says, come on, I'll give you a lift on the back of the tractor. He's got like a trailer with like hay bales and stuff. It's like kind of a harvest festival time. I feel like it's harvest festival. Um, harvest festival is a thing. Yeah, I think... Because I remember as a kid, it used to be such a big deal. Do you remember like um, having like hay bales and stuff like that and like having like this like uh, like obstacle... Whoa, 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 whoa. We weren't, we weren't that... We weren't that country and sticks like, okay? We used to collect a few ta- we used to collect a few cans here and there. I mean we didn't we didn't we didn't go as uh, as hard as you. They used to bring like hay bales into the hall at school and like make an obstacle course for us. It was so good. And then we had like um we had the cans of fruit and stuff, but all we had to do was yeah, collect all the tins and the cans and we'd make a big collection and it'd be harvest and Used to be a big thing. I used to actually look forward to like September, like the autumn harvest. Uh, anyway, so I, th- I, I maybe I've made this up, but anyway, so um, he's been taken to a graveyard to um to uh, sp- uh sorry, missed a bit. Wurzel's in the back of the trailer, and the kids are like Wurzel, what are you doing in here? He's like, oh, I'm going to the graveyard to be a thing, and um, um. And then, oh, the, the vicar's saying about, um, not the vicar, sorry, Mr. Braithwaite, maybe it's a vicar, saying something about there's a new soprano in the choir, but they're a bit weird. Um, and Wurzel starts a fight with, oh, so basically, Wurzel gets put in the grave, graveyard, and he turns around, and, um, sorry, turns around, and there's like a grave, there's a gravestone, but it has like a, um, like a cherub on it, and and he th- and everyone's been telling him about ghosts and stuff like that, and um, and he thinks that it's a demon, and he's kind of starting a fight with it, but it's obviously not talking back because it's made of stone, and he starts fighting it in the end because he's you know a bit scared of it, and then um, and then uh, and then Susan comes comes around whilst <laughs> whilst he's having a fight with it, and he kind of does this like scream thing, and you know like when you're like really scared. And it's so genuine that, like, you know, all of your dignity goes along with, like, the fright kind of thing. It's kind of one of those scares, and he's, like, on the floor. Um, and then he's still scared when the girl leaves, and turns turns out it's an owl um, just making a, like, hooting at him. Um, and then, so this is where Aunt Sally comes on, um, and she's um, she's in the choir. She's the one. She's the new soprano in the choir. Um, she runs outside and she looks like a ghost with her choir robe. So he runs off, and then yeah. So this is when you find out it's actually Aunt Sally, um, and they they're going in this like um, for the people in the choir practice. They have like a supper laid out for them, and it looks amazing. There's like cream cakes and other cakes and like bread, and it looks amazing. And and Aunt Sally won't let 
um, Wurz will have anything of it. And the vicar comes in. And so they all, all vicar comes in along with all, like the, all the rest of the choir practice people, and they start having like um, start sitting down for food. But then Aunt Sally's taking all the food off everyone and like just making sure that no one else gets anyway. And then all of a sudden it's the next day, and it's like um, it's like a church service, but looks like quite a special service. And um, um, and the bells are ringing, and Wurzel's moaning about the fact that they're making a racket in the morning, and. Wurzel goes looking for something and he kind of looks, he's looking for like a disguise kind of thing to, um, to join his thing. And Mr. Braithwaite has laryngitis, so he can't be in the choir anymore. And then Wurzel comes in the, um, in the, uh, what's it called? In the, um, in the, in the, in the, in the graveyard and he's kind of singing and the, the vicar clocks him and said, oh, you can be in the choir kind of thing. And then, so he's in the choir and Aunt Sally's in the choir, but Aunt Sally doesn't like that he's in the choir and they start singing. It's like, I think all things bright and beautiful. And then she's like, she's singing and saying like, Wurzel, why are you here? Kind of thing. And he's singing back and they're arguing, but in singing. And it's, it's quite a little funny moment. And yeah, it's, it is Harvest Festival. And and the, the Wurzel's mice that he has living in his, in his um, straw are kind of like making him fidget. And he lets them out. And he says like, oh, if everyone else is having a good... Um, good time i don't see why you can't either and lets all his mice out to go and eat the food everyone freaks out they go outside and get on like everyone gets on the cart you know like they had like the the cart of the drawn by horses or maybe it's a tractor or something but it's like a float you know like from back in the day when you had people on the um on the back and doing things and having decorations and stuff and aunt sally and was both <laughs> both outside and they've both been banned from the festival and he's nicked some jam and he gives her some jam, but she has three, sorry, two of them, and he only gets one. And then, um, so this is where you thought, I didn't know this before, but yeah, Wurzel loves her. And then he pushing her in a wheelbarrow to go and join in with the festival. And then she said, um, and he says, oh, can I have a go in the wheelbarrow? And she goes, I've told you, you can, you, I go in the uh, wheelbarrow whenever it's moving and you can go in the wheelbarrow whenever it's stopped. Um, so like, you know, he's been given a short straw. Uh, doesn't realize yeah and that's the end of the episode um but really quite a nice episode you know a bit of to and fro from aunt sally um very funny um i, I enjoyed this one i don't like aunt sally don't like no, her yeah she's horrible but um gotta love a bit of wurzel though i guess and the final episode was wurzel's birthday and Mr. Braithwaite is basically telling the kids that they have to clean the barn because it looks like wurzel's been at it again and they learn that Scarecrows have six birthdays and Wurzel has one coming up. And Wurzel's inviting Aunt Sally because this is his bestest birthday. But she refuses. And someone is actually interested in buying Aunt Sally. But she ends up going for a walk because I think her job is basically holding up a, a sign for the cake shop. And Sue is saying that they should buy Wurzel a present. But John doesn't want to. And Wurzel's like, okay, he's going to go and have a sulk. And Sue's suggesting that they throw a birthday party for Wurzel and Aunt Sally overhears. And yeah, so they're basically setting up a nice, lovely surprise birthday party for Wurzel. Aunt Sally catches wind of them doing that. And they're basically taking Aunt Sally with them. Croman is telling Wurzel that they're going to throw him a surprise birthday party. Aunt Sally's just basically trying to ruin it by eating all the food and all the kids are like, you know what? No, 
wait for Wurzel to come. You're not going to touch any of this food. And she's like, oh, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat anyway. And so they're like, you know what? Let's go look for Wurzel. And then Aunt Sally goes, I'll stay here just in case he comes back. And obviously the kids are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Turn it in. And so they're basically taking Aunt Sally and they're looking for her and they're looking for Wurzel. Wurzel comes to the the barn, whatever, and he finds that everybody's not there. He goes off to the Crowman and yeah, so he's furious that his birthday is getting ruined. He goes back to the barn again and he sees that Aunt Sally ate all the cake and he's really, really upset about this and obviously he's like, my party's ruined. What's 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 the point of everything? And Wurzel's like, and obviously the Crowman goes, you have to wish Saggy Sack, who's another scarecrow, a happy birthday. And obviously Wurzel goes, I don't care about that fool. It's my birthday. It's been ruined. And then obviously Crowman's teaching him another valuable lesson that you have to share your birthdays with all the other scarecrows and whatnot. And yeah, it kind of ends with all of the kids coming to the barn and they're basically doing some weird old dance, which was actually choreographed really, really well, I have to say. So uh, there you go. That is uh, Wurzel Gummidge. Any last thoughts on that? Do you know what? I thought it was quite a sweet little um, quite a sweet little program. And I genuinely enjoyed the episodes that I watched. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was fine. It wasn't anything bad. I don't think it was. Yeah, it was an awful, terrible, the worst thing in the world. It was good. It held up pretty well. The acting was pretty good as well. Yeah, it was it was good. Good all round. Right, let's go with the head to head now. And we're going to start with Sentry Fools. And this show came out in February 1993. And some of the things happening in the world. Belgium becomes a federal monarchy rather than a unitary kingdom. Vaclav Havel becomes the first president of an independent Czech Republic after the split with Slovakia. Federal trial of four police officers charged with civil rights violation in videotape beating of Rodney King begins in Los Angeles, California. Summersby was in the cinemas and I'm Every Woman by Whitney Houston was in the charts. Oh, that's two for two. Two for two. I knew. There you go. Yeah, this was the uh, the, the cover of the classic Shaka Khan, I'm Every Woman. But still, it was a great song, cracking song. Whitney Houston's brilliant. So Century Falls, this was a British cross-genre series written by Russell T. Davis. And it tells the story of teenager Tess Hunter and her mother who moved to the seemingly idyllic rural village of Century Falls only to find that it hides many powerful secrets. When Tess Hunter and her mother arrive in Century Falls, they gradually find it to be a strange village haunted by a disaster that befell it during the performance of an occult ceremony 40 years earlier. Tess befriends the only other children in the village brother and sister Ben and Carrie Naismith and finds that Ben has strange powers which he draws from the waterfall that gives the village its name and the Naismith's uncle Richard is working with his aged father Dr. Josiah Naismith to complete the unfinished ceremony using Ben's powers and they hope to raise the spirit of a mysterious godlike being Sentry and they eventually stopped 
by Tess's actions. And Russell T. Davis, I think if you remember him, I think he is the guy who wrote Doctor Who. And I think he also did um, Children's Ward, which was a, a program, I think, that was set in a hospital with kids. That I, I remember that kind of vividly. And, um, yeah, so there was actually a review by Alex Westforp. And it's obviously talking about Dark, dark Season and Century Fall. So it's basically looking back at Russell T. Davis's work. And the serial owes much to the folk horror genre. And it is reminiscent of the play for today, Robin Redbreast. A strange village full of eccentrics where suspicions abound and things don't make sense. And the serial also evokes memories of several serials from the 70s. The uncertainty of man-dog, the changes, the pastoral superstition of children of the stones. And the moon stallion and the scary claustrophobia of plague village drama. And Davis is also, he's keen to reinvent classic ideas and he manages to weave all of these concepts together into a broadly satisfying whole. However, the pace of the serial feels rather clumsy. Perhaps there was enough material taped to fill a seven-parter. That said, Davis teases and often wrongfoots his audience with twist upon unexpected twist. And as I was saying before, Russell T. Davis had worked in the BBC's children's department for many years, writing the science fiction series Dark Season. The following year, he had left BBC to work for Granada Television, where he was producing and writing for their children's medical drama, Children's Ward. And Russell T. Davis had already gained a good reputation from his work on Dark Season and Children's Ward. He later went on to forge a career as one of Britain's top writers of television drama, although he did not write again for the BBC until he penned an episode of Linda Green, transmitted on the BBC in 2001. Davis became the chief writer of the revival of Doctor Who in 2005, for which he won several awards, including a BAFTA for Best Drama. So, Century Falls. That guy's got a pretty impressive CV, man. Um, yeah, uh, this was weird. Um, very creepy. Um, I, I think it was quite successful in that in that aspect, really, because it was like, I mean, it was quite. It, uh, the acting wasn't the best in the world, let's be honest, but um, it was creepy, and I think it was very successful in that, and it was like. It reminded me a lot of Children of the Stones, um, and yeah, like that kind of folk, folk, um, creepy horror kind of thing. Yeah, it was. It was. I want to say it was good. I'm not gonna go that far, but it was like. <laughs> <laughs> but it was successful, I think, in its um, in its attempt. Um, I mean, I watched a couple of episodes, and I'm, and uh, you messaged me saying, oh, "I'm going to watch the whole lot," so I'm hoping you did, and I get to you know, get a rundown of what actually happened because it was, it was confusing. It was like, kind of like, but it wasn't confusing in a way that it was just confusing. It was confusing in a way like, oh, I wonder where this is going to go kind of thing. I wonder why that's the case. I wonder why this is the case. I wonder what's the deal with the old biddies in the post office, you know? Um, uh, yeah. So it was very different. Yeah. I, I, I just, I didn't get this show. I regret watching as much episodes as i did 
I didn't watch all six. However, I did watch the first three and then I watched the last two. I just skipped episode four because I was like, I can't physically <laughs> cannot. I didn't get this show. It didn't for for the longest time. It didn't make any sense. It was almost like Children of the Stones, but like Children of the Stones, the the strange thing about that program was it grew on me as it kind of went on, and I could see what it was about, and it kind of made sense. This. It only started to really pick up after episode five and six. And by then, it's too late. I don't care. Whatever, man. If 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 this meddling test girl saves the day, I don't care. But honestly, uh, the first few episodes were like pulling teeth. Like the kind of beginning of it. The thing is, you don't know anything. Um, by, the, by the end of like the um, the first episode you you have no clue what's going on you don't know what's going on with the um uh i forgot, i want to call them the braithwaite's but that's not what their name is um the guys in the mansion you don't know what the deal is with the women in the post office you don't know what even the deal is with tess and the naysmith sarah and ben maysmith yeah that's the one yeah and so like so it's like it's it's a lot of just unanswered questions and it's not like yeah a lot of unanswered questions i mean normally the bbc are on point when they come up with these like drama shows where it's like these six part drama shows they're normally on point this i mean russell t davis i mean you said yeah he's got a pretty good cv i don't think he's going to be shouting off the rooftops about century falls if 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 i'm being honest if i'm uh if i'm a keeper a buck i think he's gonna want to forget about this program as 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 quickly as as possible yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, though, it was creepy, wasn't it? It was a creepy show, and it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. But um, right, let's 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 go into episodes, and then you can talk about whatever you watch, and then I can kind of finish it off. Right. So I watched episodes one and two, um, and I've written a lot of notes, but I'm not sure they're going to make an, a, a lot of sense. So just bear with me. So starts off, and again, second show, two out of two. Someone's moved to a new place, and Again, this is like city people moving to the village, tiny little village in the middle of nowhere, kind of like Emmerdale. Um, so Tessa was eating out. They moved. It's quiet. Uh, Tess said, you always think the day's begun at sunrise, but that's not true. Things start at night. Um, I guess that's supposed to be a bit deep. It's not that deep. Ben and... I said Ben and Kerry are here, but it's not... Um, Kerry, is it? It's ben and Sarah, isn't it? Is that her name? Sarah? Ben and Carey. Carey. Oh, so I was right in the first place. Um, anyway, so they're out and it's naughty, apparently. Man tells other man his own son dro- drove away. So Ben, it turns out that Ben drove away his wife and that wasn't really explained too much at that point. Uh, so there's basically this mystery around this guy, Ben, and he's got some kind of like telekine- telekinetic powers or psychokinetic powers or whatever it is. And But you're not entirely sure why or what or how it's working or anything like that anyway so uh, then you see someone take a photo of tess who's standing in the window um a uh, boy goes to the falls and says i'm back so that's ben um and something you know, something weird going on with ben there's something glowing in the falls and there's kind of this demonic soundtrack and then tess is looking out the window for some reason and cuts to sunrise uh tess gets woken up by mum um and ben is being a rat bag I just put, I don't know what, I can't remember what he was actually doing, but he was being a rat bag. Don't tell me what to do. Say sorry. 
yeah, say sorry. And I was like, I said, Ben is being a rat bag. And I said, nothing a short, sharp smack in the head wouldn't sort out. And then I put, dad is scared of him. <laughs> uh, that's maybe not the um, PC answer, but. And he basically tells him to pack his bags, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, so the village is a weird one. It's a bit like um, Hot Fuzz, if, if you've ever seen that movie. Um, so the man, the man is not only, is not the weird one, Richard Maysmith. Something happened on 17th of July, 1953. Later find out that this is where they burnt, so there's a temple burnt down or something like that with when they were, well, like you said earlier, when they were doing this religious um, kind of pagan ritual thing. And uh, May and another woman are sisters and they run a shop. Um, and they, sa- they said, if you're born outside of Century Falls and you're an outsider, um, then Ben calls Tess fat, literally straight up just calls her fat. And the only, they're only, so Tess, Carrie and Ben are the only kids in Century Falls, but it turns out the mum's pregnant, so maybe not so thing. Um, uh, mum is making friends with a nice woman, nice shop woman. Uh, turns out their dad's in Saudi, and when she leaves, she's like, um, oh, I've got to get back because I don't want to be lifting things in my condition, and they all get a bit like, oh my god, she's pregnant, and it's, you kind of don't know why. Um, uh, Mr. Maysmith um he's the one that got some guy to give him the snaps it's really weird and he says and even has a picture of the baby scans where he knows that she's pregnant as well that's really strange um so then best sorry um ben shows tess the temple and she says she's fat so he calls her fat again but then she smacks him um they go to the temple which burnt down and a crazy mother so the two women in the shop have a mum upstairs and she's crazy. She hasn't said a word since this time in 1953. Um, and so Ben's going through this kind of psycho thing um, at the falls and is like, and showing Tess what happened. And, and the mum who's upstairs feels this energy and she does, she gets a bit distressed. And then a woman in the fire spoke to them. And then Ben asks if Tess believes in it and him. And she says, yes. And then so he says, oh, I might like you kind of thing. And he shows her things and the real, he will show her things and the real century falls, whatever that means. And the boy has taken the path of his parents, apparently. Woman freaks out again that she's pregnant. The, the other woman's pregnant. And a girl appears at the falls, looks a, like a ghost. Tess falls in and hears some screams of of the old mum it's all connected and i put pretty good like as in like um i had no idea what was going on uh should i go into the second episode my notes are shorter here so so old mother and ben hurt by tess falling in the water mother draws a picture of a weird face on paper she's like oh what's wrong what's wrong and she draws a weird face uh woman goes to the shop and says can i have a stamp and then um they are worried about the boys, I put for some reason. Um, so Tess looking out the window, she's mad at the mum, but then she's not mad at the mum. I don't really get it. I think she's trying to do this whole like rebellious teenager thing, but it's really weak, really, really weak performance here. Um, and Mr. Maysmith is talking to um, to the to the girl. He's their uncle, Richard. And the girl is worried about Ben. I think as Carrie's worried about Ben. Um, and he's like, oh, don't worry, we're making him better. And then Ben and the girl are going to find Tess and show her 
um, Century Force by Night. Mr. Mace said, oh, I lied to the girl. I was just saying that to kind of get rid of her or whatever. And that's what they, the village villagers get together and they're doing this kind of like, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's a circle, you know, like um, when you try and, like you all join hands and it's all weird and stuff. Seance. Seance, that's the word I'm looking for. So they're doing this thing and they're kind of like trying to get into people's heads in the village. You know, like, I'm going to, is the woman really pregnant? And is this, what's going on with this bloke? But they can't get through to Mr. Maysmith. Like he's getting blocked. And then Ben feels that they're getting in there and he kind of blocks them as well. Um, and the kids sneak off to Century Force at night. So they spy, yeah, so they spy on, the kids are spying on this. Um, they're looking at the mum and uh ben and sarah so carries tell tess to run home uh since 1953 no child has been born and one of the women from the shop is is in the lady's house and she says like you gotta leave because there's no baby been born no baby's gone full term people have tried every baby just dies um and then she gets booted out of the house because she's like oh get out of my house you can't come in here talking to me like that um uh, it said. I said she looks like she's genuine, genuinely worried. Though she looks like one of the people that actually was genuinely worried for her, rather than like um, weird kind of thing. And then there's fire on the water again. Ben wants to be strong. He makes a big fire, and then there's a mask. Mister Maysmith has a mask that, that the woman draw, and then Ben summons this weird doll thing. Uh, and that's all of my notes for that episode. I think it finishes there. So very cliffhanger. You have to watch the whole lot to get the gist of it. Right, my notes might not make the most sense because I really wasn't into it. So uh, so Ben, he ends up sharing a vision with Tess and Esme about a woman in gold who destroys the temple in 1953. And we find out that I think it's Julia, the housemaid, who's the one in charge. It's her. Plot twist. There's a plot twist. I didn't see that coming. The, 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 the town's communal spirit raised a monster that destroyed the place and prevented children being born. And that monster is obviously Sentry. And it's Julia's plan. Everyone thinks it's Ben. Everyone thinks it's him, the boy, the creepy boy. But it's Julia. And Tess and her mum learn the story of the Temple Fire and their own origins and links to Sentry Falls. And... Ben is determined to avenge himself on his uncle and he learns the identity of the mysterious patient upstairs and the plans that have been made for him. And because Ben and Kerry are twins, it's up to Kerry to try and stop Ben and stop him from raising like the, the sentry monster thingy. And the villagers now can no longer leave. Ben ends up getting rescued and hidden but we find out i think one of the um the mum that's it yeah tessa's mum she becomes part of the cult whatever and because she's pregnant she's like i'm gonna give my baby and sacrifice it to sentry or whatever another plot twist i mean i can't keep up with this and this is when it started to get a bit decent it started to pick up and they're all basically going to the building where the, the, the big fire happened in 1953. I think the whole the whole point of it is to kind of um, do a ceremony and bring everything together. 
and they eventually stopped by Tess and she's aided by the Harkness sisters. So I think it's Esme and the other old lady. I think they're like sisters or whatever. And I think Esme lost her baby. Yeah, I think she'd lost her baby and kind of turned her into this cold, callous woman. And they're using, uh, and they're trying to use Ben's powers to resurrect Sentry, but obviously the whole plan doesn't work out. And then obviously all the villagers are trying to go after Julia. So they're like, yeah, she did this. Let's all go after her. Ah! And they're basically a witch hunt. And Tessa goes, we have to stop them. We don't want another like killing. We don't want something like this to happen. We want to try and uh, stop it in his tracks today kind of thing. And then it kind of goes fast forward a few years later and you see Tessa playing with her little sister. And I, I can't remember the name they gave her. It was actually quite poignant and significant to the show. And it's probably something I should have written down. But it was one of those where it was just like, yeah, is it over yet? Thank God it's over. But um, yeah, there you go. That was uh, Century Falls, y'all. You know, often we try to give roses and flowers to shows in the past that were fantastic and they deserve it. Hmm. I'm not sure this show deserves its uh, roses. No, I mean, look, it was uh, it was good in its delivery of like freaky stuff. Um, you have to give it that. Um, and I guess maybe like if you had nothing else to watch, then you would you you maybe you'd watch it every night. Like, you know, because this come from a time when it's like what two channels, three channels tops going. So well, four, obviously BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, and Channel Four. Yeah, but there's like four channels to choose from. Now there's like 5,001 channels to choose from. So maybe like it would have been more successful in a time when you're all probably going to sit around the TV and, you know, and oh, I'll tune in next week or tune in tomorrow or whenever this was. Um, this used to come on like CBBC, like 5.15 or whatever. So every day. Well, not every day. I would imagine like ooh, every week, once a week. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine maybe it was like a, a lot more successful when, you know, you didn't have that much choice and, you know, you can't just like you know put the put the Simpsons on or whatever. If I was watching it in '93, I probably would have loved it as well. Oh, I didn't see this coming and 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 whatnot. But um, yeah, but I, but I, yeah, I get what you mean. I, I I didn't like it that much, but I, I have to give credit to like the um the freaky stuff of it. That's all. Um, cool. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. But speaking of a show that deserves all of the roses in the world, Round the Twist. We are going back to April 1990 and some of the things happening in the world. The community charge, or the poll tax, takes effect in England and Wales amid widespread protests. Lebanese kidnappers release American educator Frank H. Reed, who had been held hostage since September 1986. Violetta Chamorro is sworn in as president of Nicaragua, the first woman elected in her own right as a head of state in the Americas. Ernest Goes to Jail was in the cinemas. And Vogue by Madonna was number one in the charts. Seriously, how do you not know Vogue by Madonna? It's like her biggest song. Um, I, maybe I do know it, but I certainly don't know the names of the songs. That's what, I'm rubbish at the names, 
But it isn't like one of those where it's an obscure Madonna song or it's an obscure song by an obscure art. This is like Vogue, Madonna, Striker Pose. I don't think I'll be able to name you another Madonna song, to be honest. You, you, you could. You could. Definitely, you definitely, of course you can. You could name, I, could, I bet you could name three Madonna songs. I wouldn't be able to name, I'd be able to say, oh, I know that song, but maybe not that's a Madonna song. Anyway. That is astonishing. Everybody knows Vogue by Madonna, except for you. Round the twist. So this was a wacky and bizarre children's comedy about the three children and their widowed father who live in a lighthouse by the wild Victorian coastline in the fictional town of Port Noranda. The kids become involved in many quirky, zany, bizarre, magical and often spooky adventures. The major this series was initiated by Patricia Edgar, who was the director of Australian Children's Television Foundation and first went into production in 1989. All three series were accompanied by books and study kits to ensure the programs were accessible to the community following their broadcast transmission. It's set in an old lighthouse on the rugged southwest Victorian coast and features the Twist family, who was the 14-year-old twins Pete and Linda, their 8-year-old brother Bronson, and their dad, who's an artist who makes sculptures from other people's junk, which is extremely embarrassing to the twins. Although Dad tries to come in heavy with the kids, they can always get around him if they want to. Each episode finds the Twist kids involved in bizarre supernatural adventures. And although the adventures are wacky, weird and wonderful, the kids are ordinary knockabout youngsters who have to extricate themselves from the quirky twist from an unpredictable world. The first series of the bizarre comedy fantasy series was based on the popular novels Unreal, Quirky Tales, Unbelievable, Cabbage Patch Fib and Uncanny by author Paul Jennings, who had three books in the Australian children's bestseller list at the time. And Paul Jennings was the scriptwriter of the first and second series. And the well-known actor, producer, director, writer, Esped Storm was script editor of the first and second series and scriptwriter of the third and fourth series, along with Ray Bosley and Chris Anna, Anna, Anastasiadas. Sorry about that. Uh, who was the scriptwriter for the third series, and Louise Fox and Christine Madaferi and Robert Greenberg for the fourth series. And the second and third and fourth series were completely new tales from the first, and they shared elements in style, characterization, theme, location, and genre with the first series. But each storyline was unpredictable and fresh. And the third and fourth series were not ba- were not based on Paul Jennings' books, and he did not contribute to any of the storylines for the last two series. Round the twist pushed the boundaries of ac- acceptability for children's television to the extent that the Australian Children's Television Foundation had difficulty finding a distributor, believe it or not. According to marketing manager Jenny Buckland, the scripts were, and I quote, declared too rude, not for television, and outrageous. However, around the world, children cheered to round the twist's outrageousness. Three additional series were made, and I think that's why it's such a cult show in the UK. And if you want to talk about cult, the show's theme song with the lyrics, Have You Ever Ever Felt Like This, was sung by Tamsin West, who played Linda in the first series. And it borrows lines from nursery rhymes such as, There was an old lady who swallowed a fly, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty 
back together again and say, rain, rain, go away, come again another day. So they would use nursery rhymes of that nature. The song was also used in a series of Halloween television adverts by supermarket chain Sainsbury's in 2018. And in the UK, Round the Twist was aired on BBC One during the channels during CB- on CBBC in the 90s and 2000s. It regularly appeared on Network 2 in Ireland. The show was also popular in Germany and the Netherlands. It was shown on Sri Lanka by the Sri Lanka Rupa Vahini Corporation. In Canada, it won the Banff Television Festival Award for Best Children's Program in the year 2000. And in Australia, it won the Logie Award for Outstanding Children Program in 2001. Some uh, reviews of Round the Twist. So TV Week Australia had said that Round the Twist has been handsomely, handsomely produced by the ACTF. The kids will love it and there's a fair chance you'll enjoy it yourself. The Sydney Morning Herald said a program of intense colour, wonderfully large performances and jokes that range from the terribly clever to the terribly pie in the face. Deirdre Brannan of the ABC Kids programmer said Round the Twist continues to be one of the most popular children's programs screened on ABC TV. I am delighted that for the first time our ABC Kids audience can enjoy the unique stories from all four series. A great reason to twist and shout. And there was a good article in The Guardian, I think, by Clem Basto, who wrote Round the Twist Revisited. It redefined what a children's program should be. It is a scientific fact. The words, have you ever, ever felt like this, will send Australians of a certain age into paroxysms of nostalgia. Not just Australians, but Brit, to be honest. Also, picking a favourite episode has led many a late night party debate around a frosted glass backyard table setting. Is it without my pants, little squirt, or spaghetti pig out? So, round the twist. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I had never seen round the twist before. Um, but even like you know, looking at the episode list, uh, series one, episode one, um, skeleton on the dunny. I was like, I'm going to enjoy this show. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was great to just like um, I don't know what it is about Australian shows and stuff like that, but I'm a fan. Like, yeah, same about them. Like, it seems seems to be quite cool. Um, but yeah, this was uh, I, I, obviously like you know from the from the um, uh, the very first thing that um, yesterday's capers put out was that little in, uh, promo, and. You, you know and it's things like this and i'm like yeah man these like all of these shows are banging like every you know um so from the theme tune to everything else i thought this show was fantastic how did you never watch around the twist on cbbc i don't know when it was broadcast i don't know what happened it's coming um, on like i think 4 30 on cbbc like because i remember like watching around the twist as a kid i i i loved it as a kid i loved it as well it's really wacky it's really goofy it's silly. It's ridiculous. The theme song is just iconic, forever and a day. I think this this show would would have been right up my street. I just never caught it. I don't know why. I did. It just it just bypassed me. A lot of things bypassed you. Even Madonna Vogue <laughs> bypassed you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but honestly, like this show, 
it was one of those where it was so iconic and so memorable. It was like a, a staple of CBBC. It was one of those where if you remember programs, it would be Round the Twist. That's a program I remember. And obviously, you remember in the trailer, obviously, you have the bit, are you going round the twist? Like the theme song. Did you like even have an idea of the theme song as a kid? No, because the only time I've, the first time I heard this theme tune was on the, um, don't, the, don't uh, say promo it. For don't papers. say it. So, so before yesterday's capers, you had never, ever heard of round the twist. Nope. Never heard of it. Um, but like, this is what's so great about yesterday's capers. Imagine I'd like live my entire life and not even heard of this without, without you must have been awful at conversations with that kids would have you know in the office where you'd have conversations hey what show did you watch growing up i'll I'll be naming all these shows you'd be like uh no 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 like you've not heard of round you've not heard of the family-ness you've not heard of round the twist there's plenty of more other programs you ain't never heard of that i'm not even thinking about this is astonishing like you'd never heard of Ram Twist, that theme song. Are you ever, have you ever felt like this? How strange things happen. Are you going around the twist? It's like one of the most iconic theme songs of the last 25, 30 years in all of children's programming. It's remarkable that you've not heard of that. Like I am I am just I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. Um all I know is that I I definitely know for now, like um I missed out. Because this show was great. Yeah, you're damn right you missed out. Obviously, Skeleton on the Dunny. It's an Australian slang. I had to look up Dunny. I had to look up Dunny. I was like, what the hell is a Dunny? I knew what it was. So as soon as I saw oh. it, I thought, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is <laughs> you right knew what a street. Dunny was. There's a Skeleton on the Dunny. No, but I had to look it up. Skeleton on the Dunny. Oh, Lord. But um, honestly, yeah, this show brings back so much memories. Not least the the theme song. I remember, I think, series three and four more than series one and two. I remember, yeah, the kind of the more later, more later episodes. I think what you're saying about Australian programs is spot on. I don't think we've necessarily done a bad Australian show. The thing is, when it got to like the latter series, I definitely noticed a change. And um, I text you saying like... um like my view of thing kind of like i'm not sure if you got it by the little gif i sent you but it kind of like my view my view of it kind of like ground to a halt but i have to tell you now that was premature like i watched i watched the rest of the episode after that and it yeah i was like okay fair enough like i jumped the gun the show's great everything about it's great i'm sorry sorry everyone (laughs) (laughs) okay then and uh, that transitions then nicely into uh episodes I know the pilot was Skeleton on the Dunny, and it's based on the short story of the same name from Unreal. So uh, seeing as this is your first ever time you're watching Round the Twist in your life, I think uh, you'd be best placed to uh, kick this off. So as I said earlier, the Skeleton on the Dunny made me laugh as soon as I saw it. So I was looking at this now, and I was singing the um, Twist and Shout um, song. Hang on, hear me out, because I thought it was um, uh, the Stones that did it. I th- I was like, this the- how did you think the Rolling Stones sang Twist and Shout? It's again one of the most biggest songs of all time. Twist and Shout by the Beatles. Come on. Yeah, but I think it's because I liked it. I like I like that song, and I don't like the Beatles that much. So I thought maybe it's probably. 
the stones. Um, got a bit. But it's one of those like natural things, though. You should instantly know in your head that Twist and Shout is the Beatles, just like you would know, Hey Jude is a song by the Beatles. You're killing me, buddy. You're killing me. <laughs> oh, God. Don't put me down for pop, uh, popular culture on the old quiz. <laughs> um, right, anyway, so they're singing uh, Twist and Shout by the Beatles. Um, and so they're on their way to this like new life of theirs. They um, And again, this is the second time. Second time in uh, three shows that the, the boy in a car needs to go to the bathroom when he's in the car. I was going to say, I did like how, you know, when it starts with the skeleton and they're going, ah, like imitating screaming. But it's like they're going, ah, 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 yeah, so these guys basically it turns out that they're moving to the um moving to a lighthouse. Um I don't write down the name of the place if there was one. Um or the name of it. Oh it's um I know it. It's uh Port Naranda or something like that. Okay, yeah. Definitely didn't write it down, it doesn't even ring a bell. So um Yeah, yeah, Port Port, Port Naranda. Right. So I did re I did write the names of the kids. So this Bronson is the boy that needs a toilet, I think, right? He's the little one, yeah. Yeah. Um and so um, the uh, big, this big noisy. So they get there, and there's like this old lady there who's like, there's always this creepy old kind of like figure. Um, she turns out to be not so creepy, but it's always like you know peering through the windows, like who's this, who's this. Um, and I think they meet that lady, right? And then um, it turns out that you know they're they're there to um, take over the the lighthouse, and. Um, this noisy truck turns up with this noisy family in it, kind of like um, I didn't write down their name, and I know that they're a big part in this whole series. Um, but I've called them no, as in like just generally they keep coming back, right? I time. just wrote the lads. I didn't, I didn't get their names. I just wrote the lads. Okay, yeah. So, so they come with a family, yeah, because the mum and the mum and the dad are, are still there later, right? So, mum and the dad and the kids, and basically it's like, oh, you can all be friends, and then the little boy says. Something weird with Danny. Turns out someone died there. Okay, so oh, okay, yeah. So he, the little boy's meanwhile gone to the bathroom, and it's like an outhouse. It's, it's not a um like an inside bathroom. And um he comes out. He goes, "There's something weird with that Danny." And they're like, "Oh yes, yeah, because someone died there." That's that's was uh was it Dead Ned? Dead Ned. Yeah, Dead Ned died on the on the Danny. And then I've written the old lighthouse woman is mad, and someone nicked her painting. So like a woman that lived there her painting's gone missing and then the boys go into the loft and find some dusty instruments and they're kind of like playing it. as soon as the parents come in they just like dash out they're like ah um uh and then a, and the boy says he's going to eat so oh yeah so the boy said um bronson said i'm not going to eat ever again <laughs> because i don't ever want to go to the bathroom <laughs> so he's like i think he's like dad how this guy was standing on top of a pole and he didn't go to the toilet for like 21 days or something like that um i didn't eat for 21 days and he didn't go to the toilet so um and then bronson so later on then bronson has to ask pete and he asked pete separately and linda and his dad if they'll go to louvre him um and they basically say no uh and then bronson see, this is quite weird this bit is so bronson sees a ghost looking through the like little like not in the wood you know you poke it through and you get a little peephole thing and his little ghost is in there and he just legs it he's like ah um 
and then and he's like tells Linda that you know there's a ghost there, and he's like, "Do you want me to come with you? I'll save you," kind of thing. And then she's like, "Like, leave me alone, you little creep," kind of thing. Um, and she goes to the bathroom, and then he, the ghost, is like, um, she sees the ghost's feet, and then she sees the ghost's feet like disappear up, and then the ghost is like poking his head over the top, and she screams, and they both go and tell Pete about the ghost, but he doesn't believe them, and then old Ned appears to them all. Um, and then, he, but he's kind of gesturing something and, and he's saying, he's trying to tell them something and he that basically, I think it looks like he's lost, lost something. Uh, so they go to, oh, I mean, yeah, so Pete has a, uh, I think he calls it retainer, but I think, what's it called? It's uh, a tooth, isn't it? Yeah. He's got like a little false tooth in a little, um, kind of braces thing and it goes down a toilet and, um, it flashes away and, it, and off it goes. And I didn't even realize this would be a place or a thing, but this, they go to this shop and they're selling things that have been flushed down the toilet. <laughs> it might be an Australian thing then. I was like, is this a thing? Because they go to like the the pot of like teeth. <laughs> He's like, have a rummage around through there, see if yours is in yeah. it. And sure enough, he finds this thing and it, it, it goes home and he boils, uh, boils it. Um, might be an Australian thing then. Yeah, I guess. I mean, might be worth finding out if someone could let us know. That'd be fantastic. Um, yes, please, Australian listeners. Is this a thing? Do you lot pick up stuff that's fallen down the toilet and sell it again? Um, I mean, we've all we've got is fatbergs down our sewers. So, um, uh, yeah, so they go to... They want to get rid of, um, of, of, of young Ned uh, and they... So they go to the toilet. They want to, like, exercise and kind of thing. Uh, and then a storm... They're all in there, and it's a bit like Jurassic Park, you know, where the whole thing gets like torn or torn apart. Um, and then when the storm kind of knocks down the whole thing, and then Ned points to the painting that's on the like was attached to one of these um, panels, uh, and then and then he said, um, "Sorry to scare them. He just wanted to show the painting." And then he's like, "This is kind of like the he's done in this world now. He's like it was only hanging around because of that, um, you know, the the, the old urban myth that." Ghosts are there because they have unfinished business, and once their unfinished business is taken care of, off they go to the other side. So, um, uh, yeah, that happened to Ned. He 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 transferred. What's the word when you go over the other side? Oh yeah, and he's in the painting, isn't he? Yeah, he's in the dunny. He's sitting on the dunny. You <laughs> like have a magnifying glass and look at the photo, and he's just like gives a wink or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's um, that's the end of the first episode. Like very, I made it sound like quite you know boring but it was actually very funny um it was, yeah it's a fun episode yeah it was, it, was, it was a really good episode um that was my first episode my next episode was series four episode one so i'm guessing you got quite a bit to go through so i watched the last episode of series two uh and it's called seeing the light and this is you know because what they did with round the twist was series one the kids were different series two the kids were different series three the kids were different no series three and four i think the kids were the same but one and two were different and they rotate. I think the only one who stayed same was um, the dad, Joe, I think. He was the only one that, 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 that stayed the same. But everything else was pretty much different. And then series two, episode 13, seeing the light. So they're all trapped in the lighthouse because there's a big storm. And Bronson's going up to see Pete and Linda. And Pete's taking the kite. But he Pete takes Bronson's kite and ends up ruining it. And there's ghosts hanging around. And basically, one of them is looking for his true love. 
And apparently they're meant to be Scottish, but they're doing this really terrible Scottish accent. Again, it was probably one, it's probably the slight downfall. Because it was just one of those where they're really putting it on. I'm a laddie. My name is uh, Joe McScottish, and I'm from Glaswegian Dean and Edinburgh Dean. And it's like, oh my God, stop doing that. It's so cringe. But obviously, in. Um, 1990 or whenever the hell this series came out, it was a thing. I think they're celebrating something. So I think um, Joe wants to get engaged to his uh, girlfriend, Faye. And basically what's happening is he wants to throw a a surprise party. So he wants to be like, oh, everyone be quiet. I'm going to make this big announcement. And the ghost runs into Pete and he's like, hey, Pete, let me borrow your body real quick. So I can um, save the SS Naranda, which is a boat that I think crashed like a hundred years before. And he's trying to rewrite history so that he could save his light one, his loved one. And it turns out that the lighthouse is a cosmic conductor, so it can save the um, the ship from going down or whatever. So yeah, Ghost goes into Peter's body, a really bad Scottish accent. And Basically, Bronson's trying to find out where Pete is, and Pete's obviously talking to Scottish accent, going, Go away, laddie, go away, laddie. And then obviously Bronson's like, What's going on? This is a bit weird. So he's getting um his dad and everybody to come and have a look. And he's obviously consuming the body of a ghost. I think it might have been uh, Matthew, his name was. And they're all coming in and they're like, Oh, there's something wrong with him. And then obviously Pete in in the form of Matthew is going. Oh, go away. I'm trying to fix this. Either help me or get get the hell out of here. And then um, what else happens? Yeah, so everybody comes to the party. Nell and everyone is there. So it's um, Mr. Gribbles, I think is like the local councillor or the local MP. And Faye's maybe thinking, that oh, maybe they're rushing the engagement because obviously Pete's not there and everybody's all a bit weird. The power goes out. And there's like a whole bunch of ghosts now and they're assuming um, the bodies of everybody else that's there. So they're all in human forms and they're all trying to stop this boat from uh, crashing. And then they finally get matches so that they could uh, put on the light and the boat avoids the cliff. And then they all get re and all the ghosts get reunited with their loved ones everyone's all very happy they say thank you for helping us it was all very very lovely obviously the wackiness with the ghosts but it was all in the main very very lovely it had the makings of a a series finale or because obviously i think they did this series and they they went all the way to the year 2000 and so yeah they did that they're all reunited everyone is living happily ever after Everyone's all hugging and embracing as as you think, oh, it's a finale. And then fast forward to the year 2000 and we've got more around the twist. And I watched series three, episode one. So these are like the characters around the twist that I remember. I remember this Pete. I remember this Linda. I remember this Bronson. I remember the um, Mr. Twist and, and everything that goes with it. And so this episode is called The Big Burp. And so Faye is moving in because they're they're taking the big step in their relationship. She's moving in. 
Bronson is kind of feeling a bit apprehensive. I did make a note that it's a new show, new format. I somehow got the impression that now they were aiming for younger kids. I've I thought the first couple of series was, you know, the sort of the younger teens kind of teenagers more were watching around the twist in the earlier series where I think the newer series was aimed at much a much younger audience. And so Pete is being chased down by some guys and he really, really needs to go to the toilet. He really needs to take a leak. And so he's going to a tree. He's hiding by a tree and he's taking a leak there. And it turns out that that tree is a spirit and her name is Jeannie. And Pete is like to the tree, look, please, if you can get rid of these bullies, please get rid of these bullies. And and tree goes, okay, I'll get rid of the bullies if you be my friend. And so Pete goes, deal, 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 get rid of them. And then they get rid of the the bullies or whatever. Turns out it's a, a pretty girl and he fancies her. And she's like, oh, let's let's go out. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And Tony, he's creating a sculpture to celebrate fame moving in. And it's called Love Never Sleeps. And Mr. Gribbles wants to buy the lighthouse. But obviously, they're just like, you know what? No. Like, hell no. I I ain't selling you my lighthouse. It's not for sale. And Bronson, he wants Faye to have a baby. Because obviously, he's thinking that, oh, in order for your family to survive... Maybe he needs to feel younger by having a baby. And so Bronson is trying to come up with ways so that he can have a, so ways that Faye could get pregnant. And I believe, and he's trying to do like all of the cliches. So something about a tadpole in a glass. I don't know what that pregnancy cliche is. Um, is that about uh, IVF? Something like that. I don't know. So he's basically putting a frog in a wine glass. And obviously he's like, ah! get this thing out of my way and so what happens is this is now really really interesting so because he weed on the tree that means that pete becomes pregnant and he's basically carrying a tree spirit inside him and so obviously he's and obviously she comes to him going oh we're having a baby we're having a baby and pete's like huh we only we didn't even do anything and it's like what, what would you mean? It's like, yeah, that's all it takes, you know, leaking in a tree. And then he's like, yeah, once you do that, that means that, yeah, you're um, you're now going to be pregnant with a tree. And so he's basically, he wakes up, he's having morning sickness. He's having all the pregnancy cliches, like he's got a sore back. His stomach is sticking out. And then you've got Bronson, who's putting buns in the oven. And obviously it's burning. And so everyone goes, what the hell's going on? And he goes, oh, I put a bun in the oven. And then obviously they take they, they take it out. And oh, that, that was quite funny. And Pete is basically telling his family that he is pregnant. Nobody believes him. and But they see that his stomach is growing. And the funny thing is that about school, they're learning about puberty and how your body changes when you're growing up. And his pregnancy cravings was chocolate and tripe. And he's having mood swings and he's arguing with, uh, I wrote tree girl, but her name is Jeannie. And so he starts to have contractions and Bronson's calling over the tree girl. And so the three bullies, they decide to help and everyone is happening. And so he lets out a massive burp as the episode is called the big burp. 
And so the tree spirit is born and then he burps again and he and some green gunk comes out. And then, yeah, it, the, the episode ends with Bronson taking a leap by a tree and everyone's going, Bronson, no! That was such a, a fun, stupid episode. Right, so this one, uh, I, I, I wrote that the, the, the intro is a little bit more wacky. Yeah, it's meant to be for kids. Yeah, so I see, uh, both kind of on the same thing there. And I said, like, a family are now this weird kind of ITV thing. Um, so I felt like it went... It was CBBC. No, I said I just felt I felt like it went a little bit like um, ITV kind of family, if you see what I mean. Um, uh, right. So there's ghosts. So basically, they're in this. They're in this kind of play in this play thing, and there's there's going to be a play of some sort, and there's ghosts in the pillars of the of the uh, of the building, and it turns out that these ghosts were killed in a fire whilst performing their last play, which was Hamlet, I think. Um, and all the all the families like want the roles. So there's like the kind of two families again that you know they're fighting for each role. Um, so um, Fiona and Pete maybe a thing. Yeah. So um, I don't know the names of these because some people came. So Fiona and Pete I think had a thing. Maybe and they didn't have a thing. And he dumps her. But then she wants. He says, "Why? Well, I think we should go and experience other relationships." But then she's not bothered, and then he gets sad because she didn't want him anyway. So she was like, "He was like, uh, by the way, it's over." Expecting her to be a little bit sad about it, and she was like, "Okay," and, <laughs> and walks away. So he's a little bit um, guided. Um, so, so basically, the ghosts then like, I missed kind of what happened here, but the ghosts go into the bodies of the kids. Um, uh, the kids don't remember what's going on with them. Um, oh yeah, so the ghosts haven't actually gone into the kids. They've just impersonated the kids. So they've like kind of fleshed themselves out to look like the kids. And the when they were like auditioning for their thing, they were like, "Oh, you're brilliant at acting. You're amazing at singing. You're this. You're that." Um, so and everyone keeps coming up to them and said, "Oh yeah, you wanted to be called this. You wanted to be called that." Um, like different names for the actual names. Um, um, so this this is where I was like, "Oh, this is like a bit weird. This is not kind of." not as good as it was and then later on it kind of got a bit better so basically um the bad family the good family get like um like you know like uh pete linda and bronson and uh the dad and uh there's the dad's wife or um love interest or whatever so basically they they get all the parts in this um in the hamlet show because initially the bad guys did and then they once the ghosts embodied themselves as these people they were like oh my god you're amazing acting so the bad guys don't get any parts. So <clears throat> what happens is the the ghosts oh the ghosts do this quite cool thing. So the ghosts um like poke their head through the door and and look at the bad guys and they're like, Hey, come and follow look at me. Obviously they're still looking like um like uh, I think this guy was looking like Pete and he was like, Oh come come in here. Um because I'll teach you how to do this really cool trick that I just did with like poking my head through the thing. And they said, Right, what you gotta do they said you've got to put this lock on the door and and the, the bad guy like he kind of locks the door and he closes the padlock and he says right now I need to take the key and he just flush it down the toilet and so they takes the key and he flushes it down the toilet and then the ghosts <laughs> walk out of the room and they walk through the door and obviously the bad guys like then try and do it and they just like hurt themselves um but that means that the bad guys are locked in the room and they can't spoil the play for the um for the ghosts so the ghosts are just going on stage and they're doing their thing um you know they're kind of like getting the, the um 
given a performance of a lifetime, everyone's like, oh, crowd's going crazy. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and then the ghosts kind of like, you know, ascend, do their like their change thing. And then once they've done that, the bad go, oh, oh, that's right. So I missed a bit. So basically the, they, the, the, the ghost decide, um, actually they do need the, the, the bad people's characters and they said what we'll do is we'll play the bad guys the ghosts because they can they can like kind of change to to look like the bad guys and it says and the good guys just say you'll have to play play yourselves because we need your characters as well so the good guys play themselves but the ghosts play the bad guys and then the ghosts ascend because when when the, you know the curtain the curtain falls they ascend and everyone's happy and then the bad guys manage to break down the door and then burst on stage just as like everyone's given like the applause at the end then they hold the curtain there because they the bad guys don't really know what to do so they hold the curtain they feel a bit awkward and then that's the end of the episode good stuff and then i watched the finale which was the isle of dreams again this was a really really fantastic episode and yeah Faye's pregnant and she's having a baby and pete you know, he he needs to step up and his dad is basically saying, look, we're going to need you to help out with things like that. And there's basically someone who comes into Pete's dream and they're basically saying the same thing. Mr. Gribble, he leases the land and he and he's, wants to build an ice cream parlor between the lighthouse and the sea. And all the kids are wondering what they're going to do with their lives once the baby arrives. Fiona comes along she's uh, Linda's friend and Pete's getting back with her and basically he he's he's thinking oh Fiona we're going to give it one more go we're, we're going to be together it's going to work out and then Princess Ariel from the land of ancient land of Atlantis she comes and she's basically telling Pete that you know people in Atlantis have to find a soulmate in order to save their population she seems to be in love with Pete and she's inviting Pete and Linda and Bronson to move to her island. Everyone becomes perfect on the island. You can do whatever you want. There's no bullying. And she wants to end up having a baby with Pete. The island floats away by dawn and they have to decide if they want to join. And the thing is that once they go into Atlantis, they can never, ever come back. And... The things that you can do is learning to breathe underwater. You can time travel, learn the meaning of life. And Bronson, he's basically blabbing to Fiona about Pete and Princess Ariel, and she gets upset about that. And Faye's planning a sit-in protest, even though she's pregnant, because she doesn't obviously want the ice cream parlor to come in the way of their view. And Mr. Gribble invites Faye and Tony for a toast. And so what she does is she gets uh, Mr. Gribble and handcuffs herself to him so that he doesn't sign the uh, contract for the ice cream kiosk. And Faye starts to have contractions and the pregnancy is getting closer. And so she ends up going into labor with uh, Mr. Gribble's handcuff. So he's basically like, ah, Lino, let me go, let me go. Find that key, find that key. And so the kids are kind of mulling over whether they should go on the island. And the bullies are like, you know what? We don't want to go because there's no bullying on this island. Fiona doesn't want to go because she thinks that she's going to be needed. Bronson definitely wants to go. 
And then Pete is obviously the last one because obviously Ariel. And Pete is like, you know what? Look, I can't go if I can't come back because I've got responsibilities to people in this earth. I would love to come with you, but it's not meant to be. And so she says, you know what? Okay, that's fine. She's going to head back to the other world, Atlantis. And their new baby sister, they decide to name her Ariel. And then I think the very last sort of scene was Faye proposing to Tony. I kept calling him Joe. His name's not Joe. His name was Tony. And so, yeah, she proposes to Tony. And, yeah, I think it's kind of the, the theme of the show, really, from season two was are they going to get engaged? Are they not going to get engaged? And I think finally at the end of series four, they get engaged. And that is how Round the Twist came to an end. Nice. <sighs> I, I, I honestly, I'm still in shock that you didn't see this program. Yeah, I, I just never came across it. Um, the thing is, um, in in secondary school, I know it was on before that, but in secondary school, I didn't get in till 4.30. That was when it came on. Yeah, but that's the earliest I ever would have walked through the door. If that's the case. Oh, I'll tell you why I didn't watch it. And I was meant to mention this in the Disney episode. It's because my brother, for every day for about five, maybe eight years, something like that, was watch it, would watch Tracy Beaker. No, sorry, The Lion King. Followed by Tracy Beaker. Um, and so whenever I walked through the door, it was always The Lion King on at some point. So I watched that every day for for years. Um, maybe Tracy Beaker was in the latter stage of that. But um, yeah, so I didn't, because my brother was always at home when I got home, because he went to a different school than me, um, which was not too far away. So he basically got, um, he got dibs of the TV before I did. That's, that's probably why I never made it. You'd have missed out. But um, yeah, Round the Twist, I think this is a show that fully deserves its roses and flowers. So I think it's fairly obvious that I'm going to choose Round the Twist out of the two. I don't think it's a case of, you know how like we were talking about Freaks and Geeks and how that show was so amazing compared to um, Wicked Science. But like Wicked Science, I thought was pretty decent. I didn't think it was a bad show at all. And it was almost... I feel like sorry for kind of putting those two together because Wicked Science in its own right was a fairly decent enough show. Whereas Century Falls, I didn't think it was that good. And I can happily say with uh, no um, with no um, reservations, guilt or reservations, exactly. And I can say, look, this was a much better show and Oh, if if you're like producer Paul and you had someone hogging the TV when you were younger and you didn't see around the twist, then uh, the episodes are on YouTube and I definitely suggest you go out of your way to watch it. it. It is fantastic. It is one of those shows where the theme song is amazing and the show follows up with it, just like Bertha did. Amazing theme song, amazing show. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, obviously I'm going to go with... Um... Round of twist as well. The theme tune is just incredible. Uh, it's just one of those one of those ones that always gets in your head. And do you know what? Like I'm just gonna say, like every time we sometimes we do these shows, you've got to go back and listen to the um the the promo that we put out um at the beginning because 
because some of the, when you listen to them, like you know, with everything else, you're like, oh yeah, I've listened to that, I listened to that, I listened to that. Oh, I remember that. It's like, you know, and and it's yeah, it just adds something else. So um, I I think that Century Falls was really good at being creepy. Um, it certainly was something very different. But yeah, I mean, you had to be quite invested to you know to be um, looking at the uh, the twists and stuff like that, and it was. Um, a bit confusing up until that point, I guess that you actually have the reveal. Um, I don't think it's something you can watch quickly, um, which I've said before, but unfortunately sometimes we have to do rush, rush for a few bits, but yeah, um, I, I, I thought it was quite successful in that, but, but putting up against random twist, man, random twist is amazing. Yes, it is. And speaking of the trailer, I think one show that we haven't done, but we had the theme song was, was Animaniacs. And oh it is God, coming yes. back. Oh, wow. Animani, totally explainy, never mansplainy. Please put the, just copy that. And look, I'm sure you've done it already, but put, pop that on the socials because it, the, the self-awareness of that um, thing. Yeah. And I, I, comedy, self-awareness is my thing. So <laughs> I was laughing out loud at that Um this is a it's a cartoon that I genuinely loved. I mean, you know what? When I when we did Pinky and the Brain, because obviously Pinky and the Brain is of the same family, and you're watching all of the cultural references that they would make, and as a kid, most of the times, I'm not gonna lie, it went over my head. But for the most part, I could watch Animaniacs and just be laughing my head off. And I can't believe we haven't done it up to now. I mean, there is a potential um, window at some point because obviously I'm 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 organized and I am super organized and I pretty much filled out the whole year in terms of episodes. But there is one like asterisk week where I'm not really convinced about the shows that we're doing on that week. So maybe we can hit some of that up. All I'm gonna give you guys a clue about shows that we're gonna be doing. Is all I'm gonna say is Thundercats better be good. That's all <laughs> I'ma say. That is all I'ma say. It better be good. And that's all y'all getting for the rest of the year. You ain't getting any more clues out of me. But um yeah, and and the maniacs. And obviously, as told by Ginger celebrates 20 years. Uh 20 years ago, I think 20 years ago today or yesterday. It came on our TV screens. I think I might I might put out the episode that we did on As Told by Ginger and obviously the bits of it where I spoke with Patricia about As Told by Ginger. It was um, a cartoon I never watched as a kid, but I ended up really, really liking when we did it in March, was it? For Women's History Month? Yeah, yeah. It was a really well-informed discussion as well. Um, Patricia smashed it, so... Yeah, yeah. So um I'll I'll see if I can try and get that together for you guys just in case you missed it and you know if you're just fans of As Told by Ginger, you can just kind of have it in one place as opposed to joining it up with uh, whatever whatever the hell shows we joined it up with. Um yeah, and on that kind of news roundup, I think it's a good place to bring it to an end. Uh thank you all again for continuing to listen. We've had an upsurge of listeners from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. So uh, 
Gracias to uh, listeners in uh, Puerto Rico. I'm just going to roll my R like that because it's just, it's so cool. Gracias. Um, el uh, muchachos y much- I don't even know what the girl version of muchacho is. Uh, yeah, gracias muchachos and girl muchachos uh, in Puerto Rico y San Juan. I know that's the capital city of Puerto Rico. It's San Juan. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to listeners in Puerto Rico and all places around the world. If you're listening to yesterday's capers, I appreciate each and every one of you. And keep telling us where y'all are listening to yesterday's capers. The the more obscure places in the world, the better. I don't care. I want I want it all. I want all all nations of the world listening to this podcast. That's what's going to bring the world together. Yesterday's capers. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're on the socials. So you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. We're on Instagram at yesterday's capers one. On Twitter, it's yesterday capers. I am on the socials, uh, Abdullah underscore Molim. On Instagram, on Twitter, it's Abdullah Molim, all one word. We're on YouTube on youtube.com forward slash yesterday's capers. Obviously, if YouTube are bugging out with the music, they can take it off. So if they do that, then just go on the, um, the socials. Facebook.com forward slash yesterday's capers. You can follow the page and you can find out all the latest details and all the good stuff that comes with that. And yeah, of course, join us next week for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. <laughs>